Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Amen. How many love the, come on, read another word. Good for you. There's a whole chapter, Romans 1, Romans 12, 1 through 21. Um, let's just address this real quick. I should have learned how to play saxophone when I was a kid. I mean, I don't, you know, I could do with that. I would be, I would, you would see me right now down on the streets, uh, on a corner, just playing sax for passing commuters. I'd wake my kids up every morning with a, with a solo. <laughs> I would, I would wake them up and there it would, dad, once again, working the sax. I, I thought about the, the, what is the recorder? It just doesn't have the same impact. <laughs> just playing a little over. Yeah. Oh, man, that was good. I love being in a church that's so talented, don't you? And even if it wasn't talented, I love being in a church. I love being a part of a community with fellow believers. I love family. I love all the nuances of family, don't you? You better say yes, because you're some of those nuances in your own family. I love uh, last Sunday. I love people getting out of their seats and saying, yeah, We've been at this church for a set amount of time, whether it be a few weeks, months, maybe for some, a few years, and we believe this is where God has called us to plant our life and our family, and we're going to use our gifts and our talents and resources and personality to work along, co-labor alongside all the unique individuals that call Capital Church their home, and we're going to do it, and it's the, it's the joy that's going to motivate the, of the Lord that's going to motivate us to do that. So, if you are one of those, just know it's more than just a you know it. It's more than just a one time I'm planted. Um, this is this is something that when God calls you to family, you're family. The funny thing about it, even when you leave, you're still family. You're just family that left, right? But we're we're still family. We're connected. This isn't. There's not an expiration date to the membership when it comes to God's idea. What's his idea? You're his idea, but also the church is his idea. The church is never man's invention. And so we better, we better hold it loosely, uh, meaning that we better look at the church in the way in which God has laid out for us in scripture. Why? Because he is the instructor, the creator of it. And it is the greatest vehicle of mission and hope and life transformation and grace and mercy and peace that the world has ever known. And I don't think we're using all the cylinders. I think we're just functioning and firing on just a few. What happens when the church gets together and you really, both you and I and us together, really believe Jesus at his word and you really lean in with faith, even in the midst of the fights, even in the midst of diversity, even the midst or adversity, even in the midst of pain and tribulation, what happens is it, it, it's amazing. You get stronger and stronger and stronger because of what God is planting and growing and building you in. It's, it's his church. Come on. It's awesome. You're a part of it. You're a great, unique part of it. And when I read Romans, uh, and I've been in Romans for a little bit now, just as I've been reading through uh, the 16 chapters in Romans, uh, Paul, he's, he's onto something pretty sweet. Uh, he gives us, he lays out 
blueprints. He lays out a way in which that we're to live and function, act as uh, the called out ones, those who are committed to the purpose, the relationship, but also the purpose and the plans of Jesus. And he lays it out. And when you look through Romans chapter chapter 1 through 11, you see in the first three-fourths of the book of Romans, Paul doesn't give a whole lot of instructions for you and I. It's not like a checklist of all the things that we're supposed to do to be good followers of Jesus. He spends three-fourths of the book making one major point. And that major point is everyone has to come to a place where they believe in Jesus and where they yield their life to Jesus. So you can't believe in Jesus and not yield your life. If you do, you haven't, you got, you just, you've given part of your time and who you are, maybe. You've given the idea, like, I like the idea of Jesus, but I'm not fully committed. What Paul's saying is, like, there has to be a full commitment. It's called whole person commitment. It's whole person uh, commitment to the ways of Jesus. And when you look at Trinity, Trinity Red chapter 12, which is the pinnacle of the whole book, but the main plumb line verse starts in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And he reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, here he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous shall what? Live by faith. Not by personality, not by pedigree, not by genealogy, but the righteous live by faith. What is Jesus after in the life of every one of us? He's after a lifestyle and a heart of faith. He's after a faith commitment. And this becomes the starting point for what Paul then is moving us into. As he writes this letter to these churches, these house churches in Rome, uh, he's also taken on the role of of a parent in some way because he's operating, and as parents, you'll know this, it's called the ministry of reconciliation. You know, if you have kids, you know what that means. It means they just, I don't, you don't have to train them. They just, they fight with each other. They war with each other. And you as a parent, the job is to help change their hearts, not just change their behavior, Correct. So it's not enough, hey, get along with your sister or your brother or whoever it is uh, because dad and mom said so. Like, I have to get along with you because dad and mom said so. That's not the point. The point is you have to operate in love and compassion towards the other. That's the end goal. So then it changes your behavior and your respect for one another. Paul is doing the same thing. Like a parent, he's dealing with two categories. He's dealing with two groups. He's dealing with what's called the weak and the strong. And we see they're not weak and strong based on their personality, not weak and strong based on who's more right, who's, uh, who's, who's less right. Uh, it's based on the fact that predominantly in Rome, the Messianic Jews were a minority, and you see there's more Gentile believers, Christians in Rome. They're considered the strong, where the Jews are considered the weak there in Rome. And this is the argument that both sides are coming from. One side is coming from this scrupulous uh, observance to ceremonial law and regulations and their, their mosaic law through and through. They're all about it. Yes, they've received Jesus, but they're putting more emphasis on what you have to do as being a good Jewish follower of the Torah of the law, right? Then you have the other party, which is this Gentile Christian party, and they're champions of a law-free gospel, and so they're both arguing and debating with each other based on who's more right. 
And how many know you never argue based on you think you're wrong? You always argue based on you think you're most right in this situation. And so Paul comes as Daddy Paul, and he, and he comes in the middle of these two opposing groups, and he says, listen, the reality is you both need humbled. And there's no greater way to humble two opposing parties than introduce the integrity of the gospel of Jesus. And he says this, and so he, says, he maintains the integrity of the gospel of Jesus by saying, it doesn't matter whether you think it's more law or no law. The reality is this, that every person, no matter who they are, need to understand that you are lost and you are in a place of despair and in great, great darkness if you do not know, if you do not believe and yield your life completely to King Jesus. So that's where they're like, oh. And then he goes, not only that, not only, and you read this through, you can't get through verse after verse in the, the writing of Paul in Romans without seeing the gospel presented time and time again, that it's about Jesus. We sang about it. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Never does it stop being about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And there's not a person that needs Jesus more or less. We all need Jesus equally because when we were without Jesus, we are at a very despairing, dark, lonely, isolated, without hopeful place. But then comes Jesus and Jesus comes in and he sets men free. He sets humanity free. That which the enemy wanted to do and wreak havoc and pain and tragedy in our lives. Jesus comes in the scene and makes all things brand spanking new. And this is what Paul's introducing. But not only is he introducing the, the importance of gospel, 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 he's also advocating for unity within the church. He's saying there's a unity that's, uh, as we're together on this understanding, that we read it, Trinity read it, that there's so many different uh, talents and gifts within the localized body, the church. Are you kidding me? I, I hit 5'9", my sophomore, my junior year in, in high school, and I stayed 5'9". And I didn't try and act like someone who's 6'6", and who, who knew how to do a layup, or who knew how to shoot from the perimeter. I'm 5'9". Five, I'm five, I'm five you, know, you know where I went? Yeah. I could do what a 6'6 guy couldn't do. I could run a really mean double leg, and a single leg, yeah, that's, that's right up my alley. I, I knew how to wrestle. So do you know how funny it is watching a wrestler on a court? You're like, something's out of place here. Or maybe a basketball player on a mat. It's just, the point is this, that there is different diversities and gifts in all of us. And what we have to know is we have to be okay with the gift that God gave us. More than okay. We have to be okay to grow in it and to uh, step out in faith and work that gift. And you have to cheer the other person on. And you don't, you don't try and collect all the gifts in your own bag of tricks. Because you want to be something. No, no. You stay in the lane, in the giftedness, in that 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 place of faith that God's given you to, to serve the church, one another, but also to be a vehicle uh, that's going to be used to, to, serve, to serve the world. So we see Paul's working together with this group of people, this civil rival. And you know it's siblings, in a way, that's how he's looking at it. By the way, he writes. Because he, he, he uses terminology like brothers, which is a, a family term, right? So he's, he's saying, no, this isn't just for strangers. This is for people who are in the household of faith. Let's, let's, have, some, let's have some family family room talk to where we're going to work together with a spirit of unity to achieve the purposes of Jesus for our day. That's the same call that's needed within our lifetime right now. There's a world 
hear me out, that is watching and looking and observing our life every single day. How is the church different? What does the local church look like when it comes to their generosity and their love and their commitment for each other and their uh, response to enemies and their response to things that are trying to maybe invade and disrupt their culture? What, what's the church doing? I think Paul gives us this beautiful picture uh, of a uh, manifesto of what it looks like to be a king and a priest, which we're all called to. The priest isn't the person holding the mic. All of us that have said yes to Jesus, we take on now the role of New Testament kings and priests. And so there has to be a transformation of thought in our thinking, in our hearts, in our, how we look at people, and our behavior has to change as a result of that. So that's chapter 1 through 11. And then when you move through chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, what you find is that uh, Paul says, okay, now that we have this cleared, that we're all in this together, and the main thing is believing in Jesus and yielding your whole person to Jesus, now as a local church, as a community, you're ready to be an influencer in government. You're ready to be an influencer within the church community. You're ready to be an influencer with things that are disputed among you. You're ready to be an influencer with people that just don't serve in this localized community, but that are throughout the course of the world. Like right now, I believe Dr. Stan is in, is in Kenya. So he is part of this house. And what, what is Dr. Stan doing right now? He's influencing, just not at a local level, but as he represents this community right now, how crazy is it? I love it. We're helping influence another nation there in Kenya. And what we see is that uh, there's instruction that Paul gives on what it looks like to really live out this Christian walk. I won't get into those chapters, but I'm going to, for a few moments, stop and hang out on chapter 12, because this is the pinnacle of the entire letter, these chapters. The pinnacle is the fact is, is where Paul's getting us to this place where as a community, not one here and a few there, but as a community collectively, we're living out what God's righteousness looks like, right? What he determines is good, blessable, right, true, and real. What he defines as uh, what brings value to our life and our space. And it's here that we start. And this is, you know, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2 is a, it's a verse that as a young guy, uh, I, I memorized and I quoted quite a bit. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been, especially when I was in high school, if you've never been in the, the mind of a high school boy, whoo, that's a circus in there. Like, it's like, a, it's like a Ferris wheel that just, you know, a couple of the bearings broke, and it's all over the place. And so you're having all these crazy thoughts. Your hormones are changing. You know, you're like, uh, you're, you're all over the place on the planet with your thoughts and your minds, and, but you're trying to be a good Christian young man. And so then you memorize Romans 12, verse 2. Oh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that's like 8 a.m. And then 8, 15, you're like, oh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed, be transformed, be transformed. And then you've quoted that all day long. And from my experience... I found that that did nothing to my behavior. If anything, it just confused me. What does it mean? What? Okay. Don't be conformed to this world. Okay, I get that. Um, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. What I wish would have happened is I wish I would have read through chapters 1 through 20 
1 and not just hung out on chapter or verse 2 because when you read the whole chapter, it makes a lot of sense, verse 2 does, what it, mind, what it means to have a transformed mind and not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as we read, what we see is in the very beginning, uh, it says that I appeal to you, therefore, brothers sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what's Paul saying? He's like, your spiritual worship is to present your life as a living sacrifice. It then goes in, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, it's making more and more sense to me, and it'll make sense to you. What's, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that it starts with, in a better translation, it says, in view of God's mercies, presents your life as a living sacrifice. What happens is, if we're not careful, we read it and we just see something about God's mercies and then we move on to presenting our life. If you don't catch it, it's not very motivating to present yourself as a living sacrifice. But when you understand that Paul's saying, no, 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 the key to all this is you first have to spend a lot, a, a, enough time and this idea of viewing the mercies of God. Stop there, stay there, hang out there, as long as it takes for you to understand that when you and I were at our worst, when we were pagan in heart and mind, when we were vindictive, when we allowed darkness to run in and through our thoughts in our very life, and when our spirit and soul were twisted. We didn't know right side from left side, up from down. It was at that moment that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to what? To be this substitute, this exchange for your life and my life. Then, now, and forever. And he makes this beautiful exchange on not a beautiful cross, but on this Roman crucifixion, a crazy way to suffer and to be persecuted and to be tortured, Jesus went through that for you and for me. So what Paul is saying, when you consider what's to follow, you first have to stop and consider that for your life and for my life and for many lives that call on the name of Jesus, this is what was done. The mercy of God was placed on display. It was evident. It was given for us. That then right there becomes motivation for what follows. In another way, I'm a parent once again. So I will ask my, my kids, hey, in, in, the mercy, in view of the mercy of, of dad and mom, go clean your room. They're like, huh? What does that mean? That means that you actually brought zero to this household. Like even the clothes on your back, I own them. I took something off my son's plate the other day and he postured up on me like he was gonna fight me for that. I'm like, you don't understand. I'm letting you eat my food. I have my plate and two other plates in this family. I have three, a total of three plates every time we sit down to eat. So does my wife. So in view of the fact that I've given you food, I clothe you, we even bought you weighted blankets. So we're not even being like cheap on what you get to sleep with. In all of that, in the view of the fact that you don't think about how this family is going to function and thrive, in view of that, go clean your room. 
Oh. Now, I think if we're not careful, we do the same thing. And I, I've, I've done the same thing. I, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time now. The problem with that, it's great, but the problem with that is if you're not careful, sometimes you get to a point where you feel like you deserve something. Or you've worked hard enough. Well, no, no, it's, it's yeah, I get it. I get it, I get it, you know. It's, I, I know what you're saying, Lord, right? But I mean, I've, I've really done the work of a minister for a while now. I just feel like, you know, and if we're not careful, even in our view of other people, oh uh, yeah, hmm, probably should have made some better choices. And sometimes we're not looking through the view of the mercy of God. Yeah. And we're looking through maybe our own life experience or, you know, our own prejudice, or our own preference, all those things. And we're, we're viewing our life and others' life from the wrong lenses. Now, this is cheesy, but I did this. I had a, I, I robbed the, um, if these are your glasses, come and get them after service there in the lost and found. And I wrote on them, but it'll wash off. I'm doing a, this is a, if you know my dad, this is what he looks like. <clears throat> Anytime. He clears his voice and prays. But it says this, it says, God's mercy. God's mercy. I don't know if we consider it. I think we go into our Bible reading plan and we're going we're gonna to treat people the way our hearts at that moment feel like treating people. We're going you know, to be faithful when everything is going for us and we're going to be prayerful when everything goes for us. But when things come against us, it's like if we're not looking through the mercies of God, what happens is we stop praying, we stop being considerate of others, and we just get in this like cyclical pattern of self, 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 self. Paul's saying, you want to actually live like a household member of Jesus? It starts by first looking through these lenses. You first have to see your life and the world through the mercies of God. And when you see your life and your world through the mercies of God, it reads more like this. He goes, I invite you, siblings of, the, of God's household, in view of the mercies of God by compassion and sympathy of God to make available, to furnish, to offer your whole person, your complete self, emotionally, physically, and spiritually as a living offering, something that would be offered to a deity of old. Holy, dedicated, set apart, something is pleasing to him. He goes on to say, this is your spiritual worship. It's your thoughtful service to God. He says, do not model after or become behaviorally or socially similar to the patterns of this world. Paul says this world in Romans 12, but in Galatians, he says this world, he says in this present evil age. So don't be shocked that right now we're living in a present evil age. He goes, and while we're in the midst of this present evil age, this is what you do because of the view of the mercies of God for you. You're going to present yourself as a living sacrifice, and it's going to be one of the best weapons the enemy can't even hold on to. As you give your life in believing and yielding to Jesus, you have all that's needed to overcome in this present evil age. First Peter chapter one, verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So what we see is we see that Paul is, uh, he's saying, listen, it, it starts with the belief, it starts with the yielding, and it starts with presenting your life, all of it, your whole, say it with me, just say whole person. 
Because I want you to hear it. It's not just, it's not some hybrid version of Christianity that unfortunately many have gotten into. It's this crossover of gas and electric. It's like this, we don't know what we are today. And that's not what Christ has called us to. He's called us to a full bodily, spiritual, soul commitment to Jesus and belief and complete surrender and yield. And when that happens, man, what takes place of the gifts in your life and my life are completely, completely magnified. He goes on to say, see how this makes sense now? Be transformed now in the renewing of your mind. So as a young high school kid, I'm like, oh, God, I'm getting it now. Because of the mercies of God. And because you've called me not just to exist and build my world, but you've called me to be a living sacrifice and take my time, talent, energy, and use it for your good and for your kingdom, then I'm going to make sure that uh, my mind's being transformed in the way of Jesus. It's this picture of being changed uh, more than just an outward appearance or expression. It's something that happens inside. Now, we've heard this, right? And it's true that it's not ever first behavior modification, so it's not about, and you've done this, and, and January 1st to January 30th proves this, that it doesn't matter what you decide you're going to do on any given year, what exercise you're going to add to your life, or what eating habit you're going to change. The problem with many, if the heart isn't changed first, there's no behavior that's going to change your life. So gym memberships go out of the roof, probably. They probably just sell a bunch in January, but where are those people in June? The problem is, there wasn't a heart and a mind change. Uh, there's just behavior added or changed. Now, in following Jesus, is there behavior modification? Absolutely. But it's not first, it's secondly. It's a response, a result of a person's life being completely whole person yielded to the way of Jesus. In that, come on, there has to be behavior that changes. And this is what Paul takes us through. You see, even the opening, uh, the verses 9 through 16, uh, these are essentially um, marks of Christianity, what it means to be a household member, contributing member uh, that affect the church itself. And then when you read the latter verses 17 through 21, it's the way in which the church is supposed to influence and respond, not react, but respond to our world. I'm going to read a few of these. He says, let your, let your love be genuine, meaning uh, let your love uh, not be pretend. Uh, the world can, man, they can, they can smell pretend. And I think the church is uh, in need of having a real genuine love uh, demonstration uh, to, to a world that's watching. We first start by loving each other with no strings attached and with honor, but then we also do that to enemies and neighbors and people uh, in, within our world. It has to be sincere. Uh, so there's 20, and you can, and if I don't get through all these, and I'm probably not because I see my time quickly fading, uh, you, you're going to find in Romans chapter 12, there's 28 marks of, or Paul's um, priestly manifesto. So 28 marks of Christian character that we should, we should resemble. It's evidence that, okay, if you just have one of the 28, you'd, you'd need to work on it a little bit. Probably need to step it up, right? It's like a crime scene you go to, and the detectives are spending hours and hours and hours just for just one, one like, just partial fingerprint, right? That makes a really good crime show, because then we're all leaning in, like, who was it? What happened? But it makes a horrible picture of the church. 
if we don't have ample evidence of the work of God in our lives everywhere. Like you should go into your neighbor's home and leave evidence that you are a believer of Jesus. Like you should go through, not roll your eyes at the barista who messed up your drink, but when you leave, they should know there's something different about that person. I don't know what it is, but man, they're just, and they can explain how they want to explain it. They're just so compassionate, I guess. I don't know. You should, in your workplace, be the person that's like, wherever that person goes, I don't know why, even on a down day, I always feel better. I'm always encouraged. We shouldn't be people who are uh, waiting for detectives to come in and examine our life thorough enough just to see if they'll get a partial fingerprint that we somehow belong to King Jesus. The church needs to have the evidence of hope and faithfulness and compassion and forgiveness and long suffering and peace and mercy and gratitude and sincerity of heart and love that has no strings attached to it to where it'll love even the worthless that can't pay anything back. This is the marks and the evidence that Paul's saying we gotta have. So that's why he goes on and spends a good amount of time, 28 verses, let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. That means beat people to it. Be the first to go ahead and show honor and value and equity to others. Highly respect others with, I love this, with eagerness. It's not a picture of I'm slowly making my way there to honor someone. It's almost like you just came just busting through the doors, ready to honor someone, ready to love somebody. He goes, don't be slothful in zeal. Don't shrink back from being diligent. Be willing to wait and be eager to listen for King Jesus. Be fervent in spirit. The, the picture of fervent in spirit is not a, a lukewarm water, but it's when you have your stove on, your, your, your tea kettle, if you're a tea person, Marty, you are. And you get it boiling, and it boils over, and there's steam, and it even begins to whistle. This is the picture of what it is to be fervent in spirit. Are we like that in our homes to our spouse? Are we like that to our kids? Are we like that to our neighbors and our community? Are we fervent to do the work of the Lord to where people's like, wow, there's just something just radiant about you? Serve the Lord. Acts uh, 20, 19. Rejoice in hope. Welcome hope. Say to Hope, I'm glad to see you. Be like a host at your home. You don't wait for the guests to arrive and you let them enter themselves and they make their way finally into your kitchen where they're like, aha, oh, there you are. No, the picture is you're waiting at the door. You're ready to open the door for the hope that's found in Jesus and you're fervent with it. Be patient in tribulation because there will be There will be tribulation. Lots of tribulation. You know what Paul's doing here? He's like giving instruction on, on how to warfare, how to fight the good fight of faith. Now I know if you all had the mic, you'd brag on your kids too, and I brag on all my kids. This is more just an excited dad moment. Um, my son, he, he's, a, he's a golfer, so that's the, I mean, that's the sport he, he likes to do. And when he was like, I don't know, a young guy, I took him to a lot of Boise State wrestling matches. And uh, one day he leaned over next to me. He's like, hey, dad. I'm like, yeah. Um, you know, I thought he was gonna ask me like some, about some moves or like, you know, wrestling shoes, I don't know. He's like, hey, do you mind if I never wrestle in my life? I'm like, cool, 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 cool. And so then I let it, I let it be forever. 
And then fast forward this year, um, like a couple weeks ago, he's like, hey, Dad, just so you know, uh, I'm playing golf. I need to do something a little more aggressive. I'm like, okay. He's like, so I think I'm going to wrestle. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, try not to be too excited. I go, here's the rule that I have. If you show up to the first practice and it's the opening season, first practice, you have to finish the whole year. Even if you get your tail, your can whooped all year long, you have to, if you, if you go there, you have to do it. Anyhow, so he does. And I'm not even saying he's going to be a wrestler. Like I was videoing the other day. I'm like, all right, golfer, here you go. Do your best. Welcome to the war zone, right? Because <laughs> he knows golf. He doesn't know. Like I used to wrestle him as a kid and he'd go like kind of limp fish on me. That was like his defense. Now we like greet each other. We're like, all right. That's how we greet each other. I, I, I ordered a wrestling mat the other day. It was a late night, a bad decision, but it's, it's coming. Amazon should be here in a minute. My wife's like, where's it going to go? I'm like, chairs, couches can move, you know? I've moved a lot of couches and chairs for you. Now is our time. If we want to make the living room a wrestling facility, that's what's happening. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? This is what I love. So he'd ask me about basketball in the day. I'm like, uh, ask your uncle, you know. He'd ask me about football. I'm like, uh, go talk to Steve or Joe, whatever. So like, go talk to Connor. Like, guys are not, a, you know, whatever. I just dabble in those things. But now it's like asking about wrestling. I'm like, okay. So I was, at a, I was at a match the other day. And yesterday I was at a tournament. And I'm up in the stands. And I'm up there going, <laughs> you know, roll my ankles out, slap my face. And what I, what I love is the fact he's asking these questions. And a lot of guys, when they start, they think they're going to muscle their way or just stronghold their way into beating their opponent. And they have no idea that it's, it's strength and speed, but it's also a lot of technique. What's the point? A long point at that is, this is what Paul's saying. He even said in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's, there's forces against you. If you don't know how to fight, you're not going to fight well. And you're going to give more strength and energy that's needed, and you're going to exhaust yourself, especially if you're trying to do it alone. That's why I like the togetherness of the church. And what Paul's saying here is like, you want to really, you want to fight against the, 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 the darkness that is prevalent in our day? Well, you don't do it by repaying evil for evil. You don't do it by trying to get right in your own sight. What do you do? You rejoice in hope. You be patient in tribulation. You be constant in prayer. You contribute to the needs of the saints. These are all moves that break down the kingdom of darkness. You seek to show hospitality. You press on. You run after it. You bless those who persecute you. You bless and you do not curse them, which means you honor those who hate you. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty in your own eyes. Associate with the lowly. Take a moment and consider someone who has nothing to give. You don't repay evil for evil. You give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, I love this, so far as it depends on not your neighbor or your spouse or your parent, but so far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God, which means this, that you have to give all of the injustice may be done to you, all of what you're going through, and it says you leave it to the wrath of God. You leave it 
for God to take care of what he's going to take care of. And what it, it's a picture of you drop it, you place it at his feet, and then you step away from it. And then you don't come back and like check it out to make sure it's still there if he's doing something with it. It's a picture of because I believe, as Paul says, and I yield my life as a living sacrifice, I'm going to give all of what I want to see done, I'm going to give it to you. And in your time, your way, you know how you're going to take care of it. Matthew chapter 10, and I'm done with this. Matthew chapter 10. It's, it's the craziest picture of Jesus sending the 12 disciples. And he sends the 12 disciples, and this is their pilot mission. He says, I'm going to send you to the lost sheep of Israel. And you'll eventually go to the rest of the world in the, the far reaches of culture. But right now, you're going to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And you're going to go, and you're going to lay hands on the sick, and they're going to be healed. You're going to take authority over demonic activity and people are going to be delivered. You're going to raise and lay hands on the dead. And what? They're going to raise to life. And if the, the towns that don't receive you, the households that don't receive you, shake the dust from your feet and move on. But the houses that do receive you, speak a blessing over them. He goes, and then, he goes, I want you to understand this. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And that's where it catches me. It doesn't say I'm sending you out as wolves among wolves. And I think if we're not careful, this has been our response maybe within our lifetime. That we become wolves among wolves. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I never called you to be a wolf among a wolf. I called you to be a sheep among wolves. You're like, a sheep? Come on. There's so many animals in your kingdom and we're sheep. Like, would you ever be intimidated from a high school mascot that was a sheep? Centennial sheep. You're like, oh, this is going to be a tough one. But the kingdom of God is mascot is a lamb. It's a sheep. Like, what? Come on. You could have thought of something a little more robust, a little more vicious, but it's, it's a sheep. Like, how do, how do sheep defend themselves against wolves? Yeah, they don't. Sheep get eaten by wolves. I don't know if like you got to reread this or rewrite this, Jesus. It's like something's missing here. I was thinking about it, but no, he's like, no, 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 I'm right. It's sheep among wolves. That's what I meant all along. It means you're in a, you're a world, Paul says, it's present evil age, darkness all around us. But in the midst of the darkness, I'm still identifying you as sheep among wolves. And the way that sheep protect themselves is not by their own efforts and their own ability. It's due to the shepherd. Psalm 23 is this beautiful picture of it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters, right? It's this beautiful picture of he, he prepares this banquet before you in the presence of your enemy. So it's not, it's not void of enemy activity. In the presence of all that, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm more confident in myself than I am in you. That's why I give you the, the name sheep. Christ as our shepherd, there's nothing to fear. Then after he encourages them that, this, I love what he says, the next portion of chapter 10, he goes, so don't be fearful of anything. Don't let anxiety rule you. Don't let the fact that you, we live and occupy in a place of, of, of darkness and spiritual, like, demonic spiritual activity as something that concerns you to the point where you're frozen in fear. But no. How you fight is you present your, yourself as a living sacrifice to King Jesus. 
and you believe with all of your heart and you yield your entire life to him. In that, he changes the way you think. Behavior then begins to modify and change. Life begins to transform. You begin to look at people different because you choose to start your day looking through the lens of God's mercy, God's grace, God's ability. And that's what I have. I think, I think just good homework for this week as we're in this season of, of, of Advent, as we're celebrating the greatest gift that has ever been given to, to humanity, Jesus himself. It'd be great to read through Math, or Matthew chapter 10, uh, another one who I spoke on today, Romans chapter 12. Highlight those 28 points. Be honest with yourself. How well are you doing? Maybe rate yourself one to 10. I'm gonna do it this week. I just thought it up just now. I'm gonna rate myself one to 10 on all those. And I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of ones there. And that might even be gracious. Uh, but the point is, I think God's calling us to, to work on the way in which we live out the person, the personality and the story and the reality of Jesus within our homes and our relationships with our neighbors and the community. And then read Matthew chapter six. It's the Lord's Prayer because order is very important. You'll find this, that uh, if you don't start with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. You can never get to your kingdom come. You can never get to your will be done. You can never get to uh, asking for God to provide for you like the children of Israel of old manna. You can't, you can't even, you can't forgive your enemy if you don't first start with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You hang out there long enough and you're able to do the rest. The same thing is you look at it because all Paul was doing, I promise I'm done here. All Paul was doing is re-preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Romans chapter 12. So his, his teacher was Jesus. He was learning in, in the words of what Jesus was saying in those few chapters, the opening of Matthew. And Paul is essentially restating it to this sibling group that is having a little bit of bickering problem saying, come on guys, come on. We, we can be a really, really powerful force as the church. Amen. We're going to do this. We're going to do some family business. We're going to pray a little bit, uh, go into song, but we're going to have Pastor King come up. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.